Welcome to Neighborhood Church. To learn more about who we are as a community or to financially support Neighborhood, go to neighborhoodchurchmn.org. Enjoy the message. All right. All right. I like how, um, how polite everyone is. Like when like it started the five minute break, everyone just stayed quiet, and people were like, "No one's gonna be the first to say anything." So, um, one of the things I love um, that I still value from when I was uh, the <laughs> I, I was a youth pastor for a very long time, um, and I like I, to this day I love chaos. I like it loud. I like it when kids are up, oh there's nine here. I like when kids are up here running around wiping their boogers on stuff, uh, and so when it gets really quiet, I'm like, "What?" Did I say something I wasn't supposed to say? <laughs> um, and I'm excited for this, this message. Um, I titled it Wonder and Big Important Business Guy. Because have you guys ever met Big Important Business Guy? Right? Big Important Business Guys, uh, like on airplanes, you meet them all the time. Because Big Important Business Guy um, needs to stand up as soon as soon as a plane lands, right? Regardless if in their aisle or they're in the window, they need to stand up because they want to tell everyone. I'm a big, important business guy, and I have a lot of hard things I got to do. I work so hard, and he's letting everyone know that his time is way more important than anyone else's time because he has to get out to wait two hours for the next flight, but he has to be the first one to wait. And where I encounter big, important business guy the most is golf courses, right? Golf courses. I am a card-carrying member of being a middle-aged white man, so I have to play golf. It's how it works. Um, and... Uh, at the golf course, there's something called jumping the box. Now, let me say this. I wish I could choose what, make, like, what makes me like, feel like my body's on fire, that I have to, there's an injustice happening. My brother and I were talking about, why do we care about these things, of where we stand up and we'll say things, but other things that are probably way more important, we're like, we should do something about that, Right? Um, like childhood hunger, right? We should do some more about that. What I choose to lose my mind is when people jump the box. Jumping the box means um, you're going to hole number 10 and someone else drives ahead of you and tees off before you tee off because they want to get ahead of you because they're a big, important business guy and their ego is telling them, hey, big, important business guy, everybody wants you to go ahead of them. Everybody celebrates. Everybody knows how hard you work. So, yeah, just don't ask. Just drive up there, right? And when this happens, their ego is telling them what to do, and this hurts my ego, right? My ego says, do they think they're better than you, Chris? I think that guy up there thinks he's better than you. I'm like, you're right, ego. They do think they're better than me, and that is where traditionally solders, oh, I can't swear, have lost their minds, all right? As soon as, like, implies anything that they're better than us, we're like, throw down, we're going to go. And egos, right, make us do incredibly stupid things, right? Oh, by the way, uh, what I usually do is I, I usually will say something. This happened, like, two weeks ago, and uh, they jumped and they teed off, and I said, that was fun, thanks, guys. And the guy looked at me, I'm like, Oh, shoot, don't say anything. I don't Because I'm a nonviolent person, but I will run my mouth over useless things. Because my ego, right, when it gets wounded, really does complicate things. It makes us do stupid, violent, it'll, help, it'll keep us silent, right? We'll tolerate a ton of stuff when our ego is unchecked. And hopefully, you've not run into big, important business guy too much, but you've probably run into people whose egos are larger than their prostate, right? Their ego is very, very large. And when the ego is unchecked, 
right? When the ego is unchecked, it can lead to um, consequences and experiences that we probably didn't plan on having. But when you have it just, when you have the large ego, you're going to like center your pleasure, you're going to center your values, you're going to center your bias, you're going to center the way you see the world, and you're going to celebrate yourself for it, even if it excludes other people. So here's a definition of, of ego. It can be defined as the conscious and self-aware aspect of an individual's personality that perceives itself as a separate and distinct entity from others. It encompasses a person's sense of self, self-esteem, self-image, and identity. And having an ego is not inherently bad. It actually can be really good. Like in the what the realms of like um, spirituality or the Enneagram. We talk a lot about the Enneagram. Um, there is a true self. And then there's a shadow side, right? When you're living in the shadow side, your ego will lead you to things that you didn't plan on doing. But when you can live in your true self, you can have an examined life. You can be aware of what you're centering. You can be aware of what you're doing. That can lead to really, really healthy things. And in fact, the Bible talks a lot about ego. You could pretty much wrap up like the Gospels as Jesus saying, Hey, if you want a good and beautiful life, maybe you should murder your ego. That'd be way too simple, right? But Jesus talks about you can have, you can do this thing or you can do this thing. And one's going to lead to uh, the kingdom of God. One's going to inhabit the kingdom of God. And so I'm going to be reading several passages today. And I like it when I use more than one Bible verse because when people say, well, you don't really teach the Bible. I'm like, I taught it like three or four times on that Sunday. So it's even good. Kind of proves I'm a real pastor. And, um, and these, these verses are actually really inspiring, right? So um, is anyone here self-identified that you write Bible verses, like, in cards? It's a very small demographic. No one? No one? Okay. So maybe these, for those who are watching or listening online, um, you're like, I'm one of those people. If you're one of those people, you have written this verse a couple 13, 14 times at graduation parties, right? Uh, the, the graduate is going out, and you're like, how can I inspire them to be like the fullest human possible? And you're like, I know, Jeremiah 29, verse 11. Dietrich, do you know that verse by heart? And you went to North Central University. All right. Jeremiah 29 says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Right? If you imagine you're that senior and you're like, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. And all of a sudden you open up the card, $5 falls out, and you're like, oh, I was expecting more. But then you read Jeremiah 29 and you're like, God has what for me? For me to prosper? And you're like, yes, God. Right? So maybe. Right? But that verse is actually really inspiring. It is, it is nice. It feels really good. There's just a problem. Right? That verse has nothing to do with you, Mom. I'm really sorry, all right? <laughs> right? It has nothing to do with you, Valdez, right? It actually has nothing to do with an individual person because Jeremiah wrote it to the Hebrew people. He wrote it to a, a whole nation, a whole group of people who suffered for generations and generations and generations of slavery, enslavement, of death, genocide, right? And some amazing things as well. And so he's, in, he's encouraging to the Hebrew people of saying, God has something great for all of you, right? But we read the verse and we interpret it just for ourselves, which isn't always inherently bad. Or how about this one? This is my favorite. Uh, in high school, I had a t-shirt that had a picture of a guy um, lifting weights, right? Like over his head. And it said Philippians 4.13. Does anyone know what Philippians 4.13 is? Right? It's, I can do all things in Christ who gives me strength. 
And I remember looking at that shirt, and I'm like, that's true. I, Christ does give me strength to lift heavy things to impress Nikki. And we're like, oh, in Christ's name, I lift this table, all right? Like, when Jesus is on the cross, and he was dying on the cross, do you think that Jesus is, uh, said, you know, to you, Father, I commit myself, and may my spirit empower Chris to eat two burritos from Chipotle at lunch, right? Is that, is that the point, right? Is, is Christ's strength met to, like, help me sit through a two-hour sports meeting, right, which could have just been one email, right? Every parent sports meeting could just be an email. I hope sports people are listening to this, right? Man, just put in an email, and we'll all pretend that we read it. So, and we'll even give more money, right? Uh, what am I talking about? Oh, <laughs> right? Is, is the purpose of that verse so that we can go out and do really, really hard things, like go take the city for God? It can be inspiring, but no, that's not what Paul was getting at. What Paul was getting at is that if you read verses 11 and 12, he says that when he suffers, when he's hungry, when he's thirsty, that he can still find contentment, right? He can be okay. Why? Because he can do all things in Christ who gives me strength. And what are all the things he can do? Is be content in exactly who he is in this space. It's not about going and taking the city for God. It's about I'm enough, right? Then I'm enough. Which changes how you read the verse, right? So if you read the Bible through an eagle lens, funny, when it says God has plans for you to prosper, you're going to pick what that means, right? Of course God wants me to cut corners in this. Of course God wants me to, you know, kind of have some um, complicated, nuanced ways of handling HR. Of course God wants me to make that amount of money because God told me I'm going to prosper, and prospering looks like this. And when you center your ego, your ego is going to define what success looks like, even though it might hurt or complicate it or exclude other people. Because if you believe that God has plans for my life, I'm not worried about your plans. I'm not worried about your plans. Ego says I win at all costs, and that can become violent. If, when I read, I can do all things that Christ who gives me strength, it's a way of informing for me to give myself permission to go use Christ's strength to go do whatever I deem possible, whatever I deem is holy, whatever I deem is sacred, whatever I deem is good. And when we do that, obviously it can lead to those complications. So the way that we think about God matters. The way that we even think about the Bible matters. We're in this series called Wonder and Mystery, right? And the idea is that uh, you can have a plain reading of the Bible, of verses, right? And say, well, the Bible says it, I believe it. And you can fight for certainty. Because when you're certain, you're like, I know what it means, I have it, now I can turn it off. When you move in a place of wonder and nuance and mystery, now there's like multiple expressions of what love or truth or sacredness or holiness can be or look like or experience. And that's what I choose. That's where I live is wonder and mystery. And I totally just got lost because I was thinking, oh, yeah, yeah. When you, when you have the, the, the ego-driven um, life, then you can make the Bible fit what you want. So you guys ever heard of the term intent versus impact? I never heard that before, right? So the intent is, right, I, I can say this thing to my friend Mike, right, who's a person of color. I can say, hey, Mike, I, uh, blah, blah, blah. And, I'm, and then Mike say, whoa, solder, you, you can't say that. Right? <laughs> Which has happened, right? And uh, 
then I might say, this is a very common sense, oh, but Mike, I didn't mean to be racist. I didn't mean to be transphobic. I didn't mean to be angry, right? And so we say our intent. And what Mike would say is, I'm happy for you, but the impact, right, is what counts. What are the consequences? And when you live and, and take the Bible or you live in an egocentric world, you could have the best intentions, best intentions. But for me, what I'm looking for is the receipts, what I'm looking for is how does it show up? Because if you say, if you read the Bible or the way you live life is you're always the hero, right? You ever met these people? They're always the hero. Well, that implies that there's always someone who's the villain. There's always someone. If you win at all costs, then there's people who are continually lose. And the ego ensures that you continue to win over and over and over. And so... Um, the, like I said, the way we read the Bible really matters. Oh, this is so good. So, if you read the Bible, and, or you remember stories, like when you think about the Good Samaritan, right? Story of the Good Samaritan, there's a guy who gets beat up left on the side of the road, and you read the Bible, and you're like, oh, you visualize yourself, or you think of yourself as the person who got beat up, or you're the Good Samaritan, right? Like you come and save the day. You read the story, you're like, oh, that feels good. But you never see yourself as the priest who's disgusted with the neediness of the person on the side of the road. If you never see yourself as that priest, you're missing the plot. If you think of the story of, uh, is, it, is it, Nikki, is it Barabbas and Jesus who they, they decide who they're going to kill? Barabbas, right? Barabbas, okay. Yes, I'm in seminary, no big deal. <laughs> uh, if you see yourself in the Barabbas as Jesus, or maybe the, the important ruler who's having some compassion trying to convince the mob that like, they should like, let Jesus live. But you never see yourself in that story as the mob yelling, crucify him. You might be missing the point. You might be missing the plot. If you see yourself in the story of the lady who comes and breaks the perfume, the big jar of perfume, and washes Jesus' feet with her hair, and you view yourself either as that woman or you view yourself as Jesus, but you never see yourself as being one of the big important people around the table who are rolling their eyes and making commentary of how she's wasting her resources, you might be missing the plot. Why is it that when we read Bible stories, we insert ourselves in a place of where we're always the hero? We're always the nice guy. We're always the rescuer. I can tell you why. Because it feels good. <laughs> right? And feeling good is in my top three feelings, easily, right? Love feeling good, big fan of feeling good. But if you read that story and you, and you thought, well, maybe I can turn my eye away from the real needs of people. Those are called nursing homes, right? That's one practical example. We say, well, I can't give that person money because they're going to spend it on booze, right? So you just wave and you keep driving, right? We do this all the time. We actually choose violence, all the time. Maybe not in, like us actually throwing the punch, but the way we spend our money, the way we vote, right? The way that we propagate systems, we yell crucify all the time. We just don't like to be reminded of it. We judge people on how they spend their money or their resources or how they use their car or what clothes they wear, right? What school they go to, what school they didn't go to, if you're sailing or not sailing, right? We judge people all the time. We're just like those people around the table, but we don't like to be reminded of it. Why? Because it makes us feel bad, right? And feeling bad is not even in my top 10 feelings of all time, right? And when we read the Bible, we want to be inspired, and we want to like, uh, feel like either we want to just be done with it, like you feel like it's a chore, or you want to be like, I'm a really good person. We don't like 
seeing ourselves to who we really are. And ego does not leave any room for us to see who we are. A self-examined life, the true self, takes work to see it. And where I, I learned this, right, is this idea called liberation theology, which we talk about a lot. If you want to discuss more, because when I bring it up, there's people like, hey, what can I read? I'd love, you can email me, DM me, or we can talk and share more. But liberation theology, really quickly, just simply, one way of thinking about it, is where God lives. If you had to visit, think about, where is the, like, the eternal conscious Christ? Where would I find Jesus? It is always, 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 always with those who are marginalized, with those who are oppressed, right? Where are you going to find God? It was with those who are suffering. And why? Read the Hebrew Bible. Read the Old Testament. Where does God show up again and again and again? Those who are enslaved, those who are being pushed aside. Look at the person of Jesus. Who did Jesus interact with over and over and over? Is not big, important business guy. Big, important business guy, he shows up a lot and demands Jesus serves him and meets him. And Jesus just says, hey, I'm happy for you, but I'm going over here. Who Jesus partied with, who he sat with, who he danced with, who he engaged, were always those the dominant culture said, get over there, right? So what does that mean for us then? As a white man, right, and leading a, a predominantly, we're a white church, right? People then would say, whoa, 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 but I'm not racist. I would disagree. We have bias, right? And because you admit those biases doesn't mean you're a horrible person. When you can get rid of the ego and you could see maybe the violence or thought or the harmful things you do intentionally or unintentionally, once you can see it, then you can do something about it. What the ego does is just keep your head down and make sure your team keeps winning. And your team could be your church, it could be your business, your group of friends, it could be yourself, it could be your family. And ego just keeps that in check where you can't grow and you can't do better and you can't be better. And so what we can do then, right, is when we have that examined life, then we can actually move towards people, right? We can move towards dismantling systems. We can actually show up and make a difference because it's in liberation of not just where you find God, it's where you experience God. And it's actually, liberation theology says, like, if, if, if the Christ is in those who are marginalized, the way that we find transformation and the way that we experience the kingdom of God, the way we live a good and beautiful life, is when we go over and engage and notice and believe people who are oppressed. That's where we find resurrection. Not just staying in our own egotistical world. Okay, one more Bible verse, because I said to use more than two. All right? Um, here's a, it's a great example. Galatians 3.28, I believe, right? This is where Paul says um, there's neither, and this is a banger. If you want to, like, have a verse that is, like, a transformational one, you can, that um, when you look at the words of Paul, and there's only seven authentic Paul, Paul, Paul epistles, right? There's a bunch that weren't written by Paul. But if you want to go back and think of the problematic stuff that Paul says, like in 1 Corinthians, right, or even Ephesians, even though he didn't write Ephesians, um, you take this verse, Right? And he says, um, in Christ Jesus, there's neither male or female, Jew or Greek, enslaved or free. All are one in Christ Jesus. That verse is so good. I'm going to give you two different interpretations. There's multiple, but I'm going to give you two. The most common one, um, and especially it's driven by ego, is you'll read that and say there's neither male nor female. And you're like, well, what great news, Right? 
there's no difference between us, Jew or Greek. It doesn't, like, we're all just people, right? It doesn't matter if you're a Latina. It doesn't matter if you're white. It doesn't matter if you're American or Canadian, right? Or you're from Renshaw. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, like everyone's one. It's the statement of all lives matter, right? All lives matter. Why? We don't need to highlight one. We don't need to highlight anyone. We can just say we're all humans, right? And that way of thinking is very prominent, especially in our culture, and I'd say especially in evangelicalism. But here's a statement. If you want to write this down, you can. If you want a statement or a question that you can ask yourself when it comes to a political belief, a theological belief, um, a financial decision, uh, how your, like your values you're making for your family, ask this question. If I say this, if I believe this, or if I do this, who benefits the most? It is a, if you want your ego to be killed, ask this question, and maybe ask other people who are different from you. If, well, if I believe this about God, all right, who wins? Who benefits? When you say the, um, there's no difference between men and women or different cultures, enslaved or free, right? The person saying that, I guarantee you, is the one who's going to benefit. Is that what Paul's asking us to do? Is essentially whitewash everything? Is Paul asking us to not see the disparities and the pay gap between men and women? Right? Let me, let me change one word. The enslaved and free um, doesn't resonate with us because um, uh, we don't enslave people. Well, we don't enslave people on purpose. Right? Let's change the word. Let's say on the stage we have two kids. One kid um, was being trafficked and one kid wasn't. And you went up to them and you say, doesn't matter, we're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you say this prayer of salvation, you will go to heaven, right? You would be an absolute monster, right? When we say, oh, maybe men and women get a little bit better, culturally it gets a little more uncomfortable, then it comes to active harm and oppression. One of those kids might raise their hand and say, mm, I might see a difference, right? It matters how you think about God matters how you see people. So maybe this is, and again, there's many different ways of, of reading this, but for me, what, what I think about is not that Paul wanted me to not see people. Oh, and in that way of thinking, when you say that, like, oh, no, it doesn't matter, it's, or men and women, what you're telling everyone else is, catch up. I'm up here. I'm on third base. How come you guys aren't even on the field? How come you guys aren't even on the bench? Come on, get off the bench and join me on third base. I'll, I'm about to hit home, right? You're asking other people who are oppressed or marginalized who had different lived experience to match you, which is impossible, right? Because you want to keep all the benefits, you want to keep all the power, and you don't want to relinquish any of it. And you look around and say, why would you choose to do that? Another way of thinking about it then, I don't believe Paul was asking, asking us to not see the differences, what I believe Paul is saying is see the differences, be hyper-aware of the differences, and believe, believe them, hear them, and trust that maybe the, that the differences between us does not exclude them from love, kindness, health care, housing, right? A hot meal, a warm jacket. And if you believe that to be true, that, there's, that there is differences between us, and Paul is saying, because if we're all in, in Christ Jesus, then everyone is my brother or my sister or my friend. Everyone is an image bearer of God. Everyone is, is entitled 
to have some sort of place to sleep at night. And then we can do something about it. Because God, Jesus says the two most important things are to love God, and the way you love God is by the way you love your brother, your sister, your friend, as yourself. How do we love ourselves? Pretty good. <laughs> we do a pretty good, you can slap yourself on the back, right? The way that we can love ourselves of when you're desperate or you really want that jean jacket. I, I don't know why I said that, right? You really want, you're hungry, you're tired, you're cold. Man, we, will, we can run through doors to ensure that we get what we want. What I believe Paul is saying is if we're all in Christ Jesus, can you see the people around you? Can you see the systems around you? Can you see the needs and opportunities around them? Instead of passing by like the priest, stopping and engaging, believing and loving. Because love has to be way more than thoughts and prayers. This is where the ego says, no, you love people, right? You wave at your neighbor, right? You, you, know, you only swear in the kitchen, <laughs> not around your kids, right? You're, you're a really good person. Like, you, you know, you, you send five bucks once in a while to that charity, right? What love does is show up. Love has to move from a feeling to a thought and has to move into our shoes and to our hands. And if we can do that and we can put that ego aside and we can be honest about who we are and we can see the people around us, that's where transformation happens. That's where liberation happens. So my invitation to you is this. This week, take some time and ask yourself that question. If I believe this, if I do this, if I say this, who benefits the most? And put yourself in places where there's people who are different from you. Right? You could go up just to your same group of friends and imagine their ego is going to tell you, don't say what you really think. Just say, yeah, you're a great guy. Perfect. Big fan. Put yourself in places of where your ego can be put in check. Examine your life so that we can do better and we can be better. Because there's people where you live who have real needs. There's people and kids in your school who have real needs. And we have the resources and the energy and the power. We really do if we're willing to give that power away. I'm going to pray. Please join me. So, God, we love you. And I, I imagine I speak for more than just myself. But, Holy Spirit, I pray you would come and you would highlight of where, are you, where my ego is rampant. And give me the wisdom and the moxie and the compassion and the security to not throw up my hands and say, no, 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 that feeling, that idea, that's a threat. That reality is a threat. But instead, we can be honest, we can be vulnerable, we can be authentic. So that we can make a difference in our life. We can make a difference in the lives of the people in our communities. So, God, will you please use us that we can be a community of hope, we can be a community of love, and we can be a community of inclusion. So I pray that you'd be with us this week. And we love you. Amen. All right. Uh, we're going to put some music on. If you have any questions or you'd like to process or you'd like to pray, I'll be here for the next couple 13, 14 minutes. Enjoy your weekend.